So it was, it was good because it was helping me not to feel alone. Hallelujah. So we're going to continue to look at paradigm number five. If I can find where the uh, thing's gone. Where's the remote? Anyone seen the remote? Right, okay. It's, it's great, this remote. It actually makes its way all by itself over there. It's good. Praise the Lord. So we continue to look at paradigm number five. No, we're not. Wrong one, B. That's paradigm one, part three. We're on paradigm five, part three. So anyway, talk amongst yourselves, praise the Lord. Paradigm number five, part three, I'll remind you what it is. Right, nation transformation must be tangible, and the premier social indicator is the elimination of systemic poverty. Now this paradigm is already having an effect in our household, because now there's an in phrase now we, that we're saying to each other, uh, um, we're saying, uh, now we did this and it was tangible. So the word tangible has suddenly come into our vocabulary. Everything is now tangible. Now, three or four months ago, the word tangible was never mentioned, but now it's mentioned on a daily basis. And uh, Margaret's always telling me that uh, I did this and it was tangible. Praise God. So something is having an effect. And I pray that God will cause tangible things, real things, to happen in your life. Because I'm interested in a faith that is real, that bears real fruit. Amen? So, we've dealt with the theory for a couple of weeks. We're just going to have a recap on the theory, but tonight I want to be very practical in how we see things happen in the kingdom of God. Unless you have your philosophy, your theology, your truth, whatever you want to call it, unless you get that right, then what you produce, the fruit that you produce, won't, won't be right. You have to know where you are in God first in order to see the fruit that you hope for, be real, and actually extend the kingdom of God. So, hopefully now, Paradigm 5, Part 3, there we go. And just to remind you, nation transformation must be, what's the word? Tangible. And the premier social indicator is the elimination of systemic poverty. Now, so far, over the past two weeks, we've seen that uh, it's God's will that nations should be transformed. When you look in the book of Revelation, you see that nations walk into the kingdom of heaven transformed in uh, bringing offering to God. And this is something that God wants to see happen. And this transformation is real. It is tangible. Just like Joseph, we can be a blessing to everyone around us. And right next to you this, more, this evening uh, is is someone who has the potential to be a Joseph. Praise God, isn't that fantastic? You have the potential to be a Joseph. And as I shared with the folks this morning, Joseph might be wearing a dress tonight. But that's okay, because the original Joseph did as well. And the guys who are wearing trousers, well, you're the funny dressers, as far as Joseph's goes. Praise the Lord. So we can be a Joseph, we can have an influence in the community on the people around us. And we can be a blessing to them, just as Joseph was a blessing 
to the people of the world in his day. So we can believe that transformation can come to our city, can come to our nation. We've been singing about that tonight. Greater things have yet to come in this city. Do you just, is it just a song or is it the truth? What is it to you? Is it the truth? Amen? Praise the name of Jesus. Um, it, it's great that we, we had um, the um, Pai Boon, the uh, provincial mayor, praise God. I don't know what to call him because in Thai it says mayor, but he's not really the mayor, you know what I mean? He's the ad administrator of the island rather than the mayor of the city. And uh, anyway, he was in church again today, praise the Lord. So that's five weeks out of six. He's I would say he's coming to this church now, would you? So, praise the Lord. I'm going into City Hall tomorrow to pray over the offices. That's fantastic, isn't it? Amen? And uh, I'm also going to present him with a copy of Ed Savoso's book, Transformation. Right, now you say, how can I get a free copy? You become the provincial administrator of Phuket and I will give you a free copy. Hallelujah. So... Um, we trust, please pray with me. 12 o'clock, I will be in his office tomorrow. So pray, pray with us at that time. And we'll be praying God's peace and God's blessing upon the staff there and people who are surround him on a daily basis. I want to pray about his family. We want to bless the man. Right? So that then in turn, he becomes a blessing to the city. So the effect of transformation, we saw this on the first week, is threefold. Okay? Transformation will usher in the kingdom of God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. just going to go straight through it just to remind you. Secondly, God's people will declare peace in his name and bring prosperity to the community. That's what we're about tomorrow in, the, in City Hall. Cities and nations will be changed. And thirdly, restoration will occur. And it's incredible to see how even just while we've been preaching this message of restoration, how people's relationships have been challenged but also changed for the better. Amen. Unless we work on our relationships, we will not be able to see God move in the community because relationships within the church, and I'll come on to that later on when we look at the different kinds of poverty that there are, uh, relationships between us are vital and the devil will attack us in our relationships. You work closely together with someone, you will find that you will have conflict. And how you resolve that conflict will cause you to be either successful or not in your sphere of influence. And so it's important for us to understand that the kingdom of God brings restoration. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. And that's what we're about in the kingdom of, is to restore peace between families, between husbands and wives. It's to bring them together, not, not split them apart. It's to cause us to see family members love one another. It's to cause us to see friends who have fallen out come back together, be restored together. It's to bring people together, not to set people apart. In that sense, transformation is tangible. Because there's nothing more important in, to God than our relationship with Him. And second to that is our relationship with one another. Not just within the church, but within the community. 
Now for this to happen, things must change. And the biggest change will be the elimination of systemic poverty. Now last week we looked at a quick definition uh, or a simple definition of poverty and systemic poverty based on the Lord's Prayer. We saw that poverty is lacking our daily bread and systemic poverty is the system that perpetuates such deficiency. And so we can see that poverty affects everyone to some degree. Now, to many people in Thailand, all of us here are wealthy. When Thais see me, they think I'm a wealthy person. Now, when I go to England, people think, you poor missionary. And they feed me, and they give me things, and, and all kinds of things. Now, oh, no, no, we, we, you know, let's go out for a coffee. Oh, we pay for you because you're poor missionary. You, you live in the jungle and, and lie, in, lie in dirt and that kind of stuff. That's what they think, right? Um, I went to, well, Margaret and I went to a church once in, in, in Wales, and uh, we were asked the questions, do you have curtains in Thailand? <laughs> so it said, yes, sometimes. Sometimes we have stained glass, you know. I mean, <laughs> depends what you like. Smoky glass. Oh, <laughs> we don't have that. I said, no, we do though. Right? And I said, um, how do you communicate? Do you, do, can, you, can you read the drums? Someone asked me. It's incredible. I says mobile phone. In fact, most people have got a mobile phone in Thailand, whereas most people in England, well, uh, not everyone has in England, but nearly everyone has got two or three in Thailand. In fact, I cannot keep up with my office staff. They've always got a new phone. I never know which number to ring to get one of them. It's incredible. And it's, it's just amazing how in one part of the world you can be thought of as poor and in another part of the world the same person can be thought of as rich. It's all relative. So poverty affects us all to some degree. If I did everything that everyone wanted me to do, I would be poor. I can't afford to do everything. Right? If I went to every single meeting that I've been told to go to, or asked to go to, I would never be here. I would always be somewhere else. And sometimes you have to learn to say no, I don't know why, this is not in my notes or anything, but this might speak to somebody. So, I'm following the Holy Spirit here. Sometimes you need to learn to say no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put my priorities first. I cannot do everything. Because otherwise you will end up in poverty. And there's more than one kind of poverty as we're going to look at now. Ed Silvoso, in his book, Transformation, identifies four kinds of poverty. First one is spiritual poverty. This affects every single person on earth that does not know God as their father. There was a time in my life when I was spiritually poor, but one day I met Jesus. And Jesus changed that. And I became spiritually better off than I was before. But you know, you can be a Christian and yet not know the incredible joy, the incredible power, the incredible fellowship that comes from knowing God the Father intimately. You can have 
just like when I got married to Margaret 25 plus years ago, it didn't stop at the wedding. Today, you might notice that Adrian and Deborah aren't here. It's their sixth wedding anniversary. They came this morning and tonight they're having a romantic meal. And what's the point of that? The point is because you keep working on the marriage and the marriage gets better. I know Margaret better now than I've ever known her. She knows me better now than she'd ever known. In fact, if she knew what she was getting into, she probably wouldn't have got into it. Praise the Lord. I've dragged her all around the world. Now she's come willingly. Yeah, say that. Say that in church. Get me afterwards. But you have to work on things. And so when you come to Christ and Jesus forgives you of your sin and you know that you stand before God blameless, that's not the end. It's only the beginning. And every day with Jesus, as the old song says, is sweeter than the day before. And as you grow and you start to know more about God and you read His Word and you get close to Him, then you start to develop an intimacy with God and you know what it's like to step into His presence. Then you start to learn that God's will is the best thing that you could ever do. And so He starts, He, he, he grows from being Saviour to being Saviour and Lord. And you dwell in that presence with God. And I guarantee there are people sitting here and you don't know what I'm talking about. You know Jesus is your Saviour, but you don't know what it's like to dwell in His presence. To know His peace within your heart. To know that it might be difficult, but today I did the will of God. To be able to close your eyes and sleep at night knowing that you're safe and secure because you're in Him. It doesn't matter what happens. You're in Him. You're fulfilling His purpose. And His plan for your life is going to unfold incredible things because you have the potential to be Joseph. A Joseph in the modern world. And God can do that in you because of your relationship with Him, with the Father. Are you spiritually poor today? Well, praise God we can do something about it. It starts with a prayer. A prayer that says, Lord, forgive me for living my own way. Forgive me for the things I've done to please myself. Father, help me to submit to your will, to your plan. No one is too young, no one is too old to fulfill the purpose that God wants us to do. And God isn't a hard taskmaster. He won't ask you to do what's impossible for you to do. He might ask you to do something that's hard to do, but He will always empower you to do it because you don't do it on your own. You do it in His power and His strength and with Him helping you. But God never asks anyone to do the impossible. Knowing the Father and His love for you will give you a new attitude to life. 
and he will help you to live victoriously. Last week we looked at John 14 verses 11 to 14 and this is just an incredible passage of scripture. We looked at it because we saw in it that the word of God says that greater things than the things that Jesus had done, all the miracles, greater things than these we will do because Jesus is going to the Father. And this is just an incredible passage of scripture that backs up the power of relationship with the Father because the Father is mentioned four times in these verses. It says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That tells us about relationship. There is nothing more important in your life than your relationship with the Father. Nothing at all. Nothing supersedes the importance of your relationship with the Father. And if you haven't got a sense of his presence in your life, then you need to seek it. What does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things, what? They will be added unto you. You see, we go along looking for the things instead of looking for the one. When we look for the one, then everything we need will be added unto us. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even great things. Why? Because I am going to the Father. Because Jesus is going to continue his relationship with the Father. So that when we have Jesus living in us by the Holy Spirit, we have direct, direct access to the Father. Isn't that incredible? That's why Jesus intercedes for us day and night. So that we have access to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son, what will we do? What is the purpose of our life? Why do we do God's will? So that we may bring glory to who? To the Father. You may ask me for anything I'm in my name and I will do it. What an incredible passage, transformational passage that helps us to see that relationship is the most vital thing we need. If we're going to be free from spiritual poverty, there are so many hungry people. You're going to see people over the next few weeks, in fact, they've already started, people in an attempt to feed hunger think it comes from a vegetable. If we abstain from meat and eat vegetables, somehow we're going to be spiritually fulfilled. Well, there's a bit of demon possession involved as well. And so, they're looking for something that will bring them out of spiritual poverty. You don't really have to convince people that they're in spiritual poverty. Everyone has these needs. They might label them in different ways, but it comes down to the fact that man was created to be in relationship with God. And if you're not in relationship with God, then you look for an alternative. The kingdom, or success in the kingdom of God. If you're going to build God's kingdom, if you're going to be a Joseph, that is totally dependent upon your relationship with the Father. Totally. When we know who we are in God, 
and we know the love and acceptance of God the Father, we move from a position of spiritual poverty to one of spiritual wealth. You see, there's an antithesis of, of, of spiritual poverty. There is spiritual wealth. And it comes from relationship with God. The second kind of poverty is relational poverty. That describes people who focus on themselves at the expense of the community that they are a part of. It's really vital for us to understand this. It is people who are looking out for their own needs and own desires at the expense of the people around them. Another word would be selfishness. Relational poverty. In 1623, and that's not the time, that's the year. 1623, John Donne, an English poet and preacher, quoted the phrase, or, or first penned the phrase, no man is an island. It also, the end of that quote is the famous uh, uh, line as well, for whom the bell tolls. Right, so, from this particular piece of, of, of um, writing that he did, this quote, no man is an island, it simply means that every single person needs others to exist. God did not design you to be on your own. God doesn't talk about individuals, God talks about partnerships. He talks about relationships. Even though Joseph was left on his own, he wasn't on his own because God was with him. There is no one who's, who's spoken of individually in the Bible. Even if you're down to, to, to no friends at all, even if you're like Job and you've lost everything, you've lost all your friends, yet God's still with him. No one is an island. In other words, together we find our true purpose. God didn't create us to be isolationists or to exploit others to get what we want. Before John Donne wrote that, Jesus said, love one another. This is vital for us to understand. We need to love one another. Now sometimes we have, to, we have to deal with conflict. But we don't deal with conflict to get the better of someone else. We deal with conflict so that both of us can be better for the kingdom. And so we need to talk to one another in love. Sort out your differences in love. And when we do that, we actually find that our relationships are strengthened. I have to deal with conflict situations more than anything else. And the devil wants to divide us. Do you know that? If Jesus says to us, be together, love one another, that's the first thing that the devil's going to attack. He's going to make us jealous of one another, not trust one another. 
not understand one another. He's going to cause all kinds of what we might call communication breakdown. Yet the bottom line is this, the only way you're going to get through communication breakdown is if you love one another. Not always easy to do. It can be the hardest thing in the world. And sometimes we have to prove our love to overcome the difficulties. It's true, isn't it? We have to go the extra mile. That's what, all that, that's what it's all about. You know, Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the cheek, slap you on the other, it's not because he wants you to be bruised all over. It's not because Jesus delights in seeing, oh look, there's another one of our guys and he's doing what I said and he's getting beaten up real good. It's not for entertainment in heaven. Why does Jesus say that? Why does he say, if you ask for a coat, give him a second coat? It's because you need to go to extreme lengths to demonstrate love. Because there's a lot of people out there, and maybe there's a few in here, that need to know they're really loved. Sometimes it hurts to show people love. Sometimes it costs to show people love. I remember after the tsunami that the Morgan people were scared of the water. They'd worshipped the water goddess. They'd made offerings to them and uh, uh, to these spirits that protected them on their boats. And then the the sea came and destroyed their homes and destroyed their livelihood. And it was as though they'd been betrayed, deeply betrayed. And we found the, the people from that one village. And we went to visit them and we helped them. Physically sat down with them and prayed with them. And they said, why are you doing this? And we said, because Jesus loves you. I want to say, it's very easy to say to someone, Jesus loves you. The, next, the real thing is to show them that the Jesus in you loves them. That's not quite so easy to do. God started to challenge me. What are you going to do about their fear? Perfect love casts out all fear. They're frightened to go back to their island. They're frightened to go fishing. They're frightened to sleep at night in case a wave comes. What am I going to do? Now, I could have been a good administrator and I could have said, uh, Pastor Nock, what are you going to do about it? You speak the language better than I do. What are you going to do? But God wouldn't let me get away with that. Hallelujah. Because God said to you, no, no, no. Come on, you're the big cheese. What are you going to do? Praise God. No one should ever get to a position, no matter where they are in the kingdom of God, where they cannot submit to what God wants them to do. Can you say amen to that? doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what kind of person you are. If you cannot submit to the will of God, then you've lost something. 
you've lost something key in your relationship. And God spoke to me and he said, you do something about it. So I got a tent. Now the tent I got is five foot long. And I'm six foot one. Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful tent. And you can, I can sleep in it as long as I pretend to be a banana. Right, so as long as there's a bend in the middle, I can get in the tent. The only problem was, there was a guy from America who was, who was actually the main counsellor after 9-11. And uh, he flew over to help. And he, he'd done a lot of counselling uh, with people who survived the disaster and, and with firemen and policemen in New York. Uh, and he flew over to help us. And he was with us. His name was Jim, Jim Uwe. And... Um, He's six foot three. So there's two of us in this tent. <laughs> All sort of trying to sort of bend round but not sort of get too close because we're both married men and we don't like that kind of thing. And um, so it was a really amazing time. <laughs> and uh, I was full of faith. Yeah, we've got to do this. So... We pitched our tent in between the sea and the Morgan people's tents to prove to them that it was okay to sleep at night. And it took three days. Over three days we were in this tent. Well, not all the time, you know, during the day we got up. But at night we slept on the beach to, to show them that there's nothing to be scared of. Although all, all night long Jim was saying, Is that wave, does that wave sound normal to you? <laughs> right? So I said, yes, Jim, it's okay. It's just, it's just the lapping of the waves on the seashore. We're okay. We're all right. I said, if it's a big wave, you won't know anything about it anyway. You'll just be saying, hi, Jesus. Right? So don't worry. So <laughs> we were sleeping there. Margaret wasn't sleeping at all because she was really sick that um, I'd be saying hi, Jesus, while I was away. But anyway, we were having a great time trying to get to sleep, bent up like bananas in a five-foot tent for three days. But at the end of three days, the Morgan people said, we're not scared anymore. We see your faith and we believe that God will protect us and look after us. And they started to sleep at night. Now sometimes you have to do crazy things to prove that you love people. It's a sacrifice. It's not easy. But is it worth it? Yes, it is. It's more than worth it. And we see some of the Morgan kids coming and leading the worship. It's fantastic, isn't it? Was it worth it? Yeah, of course it was worth it. And actually when Rian was leading the worship last week, she was studying, she was singing away and she was praying and, and bringing verses and when she was back down there, praise God. But she was doing all of this and I was sat there and I remembered the tent and lying on the beach. And God said to me, was it worth it? I said, of course it was. Did you moan a little bit? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure 
that Daniel in the lion's den, if you asked him whether he was enjoying himself, he might have said, don't like it. I'm sure if you asked Joseph when he was in prison, are you having a great time? He'd have said no. Sometimes it's a sacrifice. But if you know you're there in the plan and purpose of God, you're doing what God wants you to do, and you're taking the love of God to people, then it's always worth it. Love one another, Jesus said. And we can destroy the influence of systemic poverty when it is relational by loving one another. Do you believe that? Amen? Amen. You can't win them all. I'm sure Jesus loved, Ju loved Judas. But you cannot win everybody over. But I'm sure Jesus tried. I'm sure Jesus gave Judas every, every possibility, every opportunity to respond to the love. The third kind of poverty is motivational poverty. This, this happens in people who live in a state of hopelessness because they have no adequate means to deal with the challenges of tomorrow. Whether it's through education, whether it's through lack of uh, financial means. There are many people in the world that live for today. And have no hope for tomorrow. The Jewish physicist Albert Einstein said this. Learn from yesterday. Live for today. And hope for tomorrow. There are a growing number of people in the world who do not have the means by which they can plan for a better future. Now that's come to light very recently with the credit crunch. So many people depend on credit cards, on spending money they don't have to survive for today. Now praise God, the uh, uh, Pays did a, a, a wonderful I plus today. I read through the teaching and it go well. Fantastic. Uh, they got a uh, superb financial analyst in. Everyone knows her as Heidi, but I'll just call her superb financial analyst. And she came in and, and, and brought this teaching for the young people. And I think it's something that we could even ask her to do for the church. Yeah? Because so many people struggle with finance. When you look at the way people spend money and go into debt through the use of credit cards and they have no hope of paying those credit cards off. And then somebody came up with a, a great scheme, if you change credit cards then we'll pay your debt off and you can go into more debt. And so you get worse and worse and worse and, and you see people doing all kinds of silly things with credit cards. And it's happened to such an extent that it's affecting the world economically. 
So what happens is people enter into a way of life which is a struggle from day-to-day existence. And when opportunities arise to get out of the mess, they lack the understanding of how to take those opportunities. A few years ago, the church helped a family that lived near Talang. The, the, um, not the road, but the, 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 the town, Talang. And when we first visited them, it, it was something that I'll never forget. They were sat around, about 14, 15 of them, sat around a fire with an old dirty cooking pot and in the cooking pot for lunch they were cooking worms this was in Phuket they had no money they had no means of making a living they were living in corrugated iron sheets tied together which are extremely hot and they were cooking a meal of worms that they dug out of the ground So, immediately I said, don't, don't eat that. They wanted to give me some. I politely declined. I said, don't eat that. I went to the supermarket and bought bags of rice and tins of sardines and everything else we could get all of and brought a truckload of stuff back to give, them, give it to them. We started to feed them for a year and we started to teach them and help them how to, you know, we got, one of them got a job and different things happened. But about a year later, their lifestyle was improving. We were still helping them with food. In fact, one person responded and became a Christian. And it's incredible. You know, last week I talked about redemption and lift. After two years, this person opened a supermarket. She got nothing. She was eating worms. Two years later, because of the effect of the gospel in her life, she owned a supermarket. Isn't that incredible? But one of the other sisters managed, I don't know how, but they managed to get some money and it was 90,000 baht. Now that's more money than they'd ever had. In fact, 10,000 baht would have been more money than they'd ever had. But all of a sudden, this one day, they got 90,000 baht. And in one day, they spent the lot. Incredible. They spent it all. They didn't know what 90,000 baht was. A 90,000 baht came in, and by the evening, it had all gone. Incredible. The next day, life went back to normal. But for one day, they ate the best food that money can buy. They had uh, a TV that lasted about a week. And then it blew up. And that was the end of that. But 90,000 baht went in one day. Because they had no concept of planning for the future. They had no hope for tomorrow. Learn from yesterday didn't exist. Yesterday we were eating worms. Today we've got food. Maybe we should get a job. Maybe we should try and do something that helps us to sustain ourselves for the future. 90,000 baht comes in. Wow, fantastic. Spend it. 
The book of Ecclesiastes refers to this kind of mentality. In chapter 8, verse 15, it says, Eat, drink, and be merry. Actually, it doesn't say after, for tomorrow we die. That's wrong. Right? It says, eat, drink, and be merry all the days of your life. That's what it says. Where someone added, for tomorrow we die, is, I don't know, what that's got to do with anything. Um, but uh, Ecclesiastes actually says, eat, drink, and be merry all the days of your life. But it's talking about the meaninglessness of this kind of thinking. It's not actually encouraging you to do it. Many people in the world do not have a hope for tomorrow. They do not have a plan for tomorrow. Praise God. One thing that we know is that we have a hope. Jesus came to give us hope. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we see that our hope is tangible. That's why he's in Hebrews 11. Could have the word tangible, isn't it? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. We have a hope. And the hope of the gospel is what will combat motivational poverty. There's a fourth kind of poverty, and that is material poverty. Those who lack the basic necessities to sustain themselves. Many people are born into material poverty. They've done nothing to deserve it. They are victims of circumstance. If you're born into a poor family, you're already got a bad start. Unless, of course, that poor family is a Christian family. Because you don't have to stay poor in your spirit. You can be rich in God. And God has promised to supply our every need. God doesn't promise to make you the most wealthy person in your Muban or your village or your state or wherever. But God does promise to supply all that you need to serve Him. Now all these four kinds of poverty... Whether it's spiritual poverty, relational poverty, motivational poverty, or material poverty. They're all perpetuated by a world system of control that Ed Silvoso calls the Babylonian system. Now he calls it that because of the role of Babylon in the Bible. If you read about Babylon, you see that it's a system that sets itself up against God. It started, its origins were in the town of Babel which where the tower was built. That's where Babylon started. And if you look in the book of Revelation, right from the early parts of the Bible, right to the end of the Bible, you see that Babylon represents a system of evil control. And so when we say the Babylonian system, that's what we're referring to. It is this system 
controlled by Satan that forces people to compete with each other to get what they want rather than helping each other to overcome their problems. So you see all the kind of things happening in politics. You see the things happening in business. People trying to get ahead of other people. And it doesn't matter what country you come from. You see all the kinds of things that are going on in Thailand at the moment politically. Just look at America. Look at the dirt that they're starting to fling at one another, Obama and McCain. Now they started flinging the bad bits about each other. Oh yeah, they, they've said this, they've done that. And, and you know, it's coming down really to like two little kids fighting in the street. My dad's bigger than your dad. I'm better than you. No, you're not. I'm better than you. And these are the people who are, going to, who are looking to be elected to become the most powerful man in the world. This is a problem that we have in society. And the system that rules the world is the system that perpetuates systematic poverty. But tonight I've got some good news. Jesus Christ defeated the hold that this system has on mankind through his death on the cross. And now we can choose Jesus died so that we could choose not to be no longer uh, oppressed by this system of poverty, but rather to be the catalyst that brings change to it. You see, democracy or capitalism in itself, there's nothing wrong with it. There's actually nothing wrong with the, with the essence of communism. What's wrong is the way, it's, the way it's put into practice. If things were put into practice in a godly way, then capitalism would be a good thing. Praise the Lord. But at the moment, it seems as though those who get power want more power. Those who are rich get richer. Those who are poor get poorer. But it doesn't have to stay that way. If one man, even though he's been thrown in a pit and thrown into prison, can stand so that in the end, in the power of God and in the authority and plan and purpose of God, he can feed the world, then what can God do through you? In his power and his purpose, God can change things. Now look at the way in which the early church lived in victory and destroyed systemic poverty wherever the church was established. This is just incredible. When we read the book of Acts and we see what they did. Now put it into context, the early church was an illegal organization. It was outlawed by the Jews, it was outlawed by the Roman Empire. If you were found to be a Christian, then you had one future. And it wasn't a good one. Well, it, the long-term one was great. Because you could be martyred. Hallelujah. And you'd be in glory as a martyr. But getting there, not so good.
What's the choice? Being eaten by lions or crucified? Just because you believe in Jesus. How many of us would come to church if we had to face that? How many of us would stand for Jesus if you had to risk your life to do it? We're talking about an early church that was so full of the power of God that it didn't matter what happened to them. They were not letting go of their relationship with God. They were not letting go of their faith in Christ. Instead, they transformed the community that they were in. It's incredible, isn't it? Acts 2, 44-47 gives us a little picture of what they did. Because tonight I want us to be practical. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Notice it doesn't say they sold all their possessions and all their goods. It says that they sold their possessions and goods. They didn't give everything that they had away. It says they gave to anyone who had need. Now you've got to understand this. You see, because if I am in a position where I make money and I give it all away, what position am I now in? I'm poor. I've got nothing. I need some of that to come back. So God hasn't asked everyone, God doesn't ask people to give everything away. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he said, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do. And Jesus says, yes, you have, that's okay. Now go and sell what you have and give to the poor. There's an important word missing from that sentence. It's the word it. Jesus didn't say, sell what you have and give it to the poor. He said, sell what you have and give to the poor. Are you with me? What is better? The long-term plan or the, or, or the today plan? Right? So if I give everything I have to the poor and the poor say, fantastic, great, whoa, well done. We love you. And next week they come back for more. I say, well, you've, got, you've taken it all. I've got nothing left. I need help as well. Can I join the queue? Or do I give out of what I can so that next week I can do the same? Or do a bit more? Or do a bit more? When I started to give to God at 19 years of age, God blessed me. I gave what I had. It wasn't much. It was two pounds. That was 10% of my wage. I got 20 pounds a week. That was my wage. And I gave. And after I'd been giving for a few weeks, God blessed me at the place where I was working, and they gave me a raise. And I got £30 a week. So I gave £3. And after a few weeks, God blessed me again, and I got £40 a week. So I gave £5. Because I thought, I'm on a winner. You see, because you cannot outgive God. And that's been increasing and increasing and increasing all the days of my life. You see, we, ask, we say, give God 10%. I've learned that 10% is the basic. 
That's what God requires. After that, it's an offering. Right? So actually, when we take the offering, most of all, actually what we're taking is the requirement. The offering's on top of that. Do you know that? If you want to speak biblically. A tithe is what God expects. He says, here's, here's 90%, just give me the 10. And we, we give to God. And I found something very true. We can never, ever outgive God. The more I give to God, the more he blesses me. God's just been so good to Margaret and me many times. We've given more than we could afford. Why? Because we love the people here. When people come to see us, they say, whoa, you're rich, you're well off. They see our house and they go, God, wow, wow, that's fantastic. Let me tell you something. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to tell you because actually some people have asked me about it. And I think, okay, let's just say, clear it up. Anyone asks you in the future, you can tell them. Right? But Margaret and I mortgaged our house to buy this building here. Margaret and I bought this building. And we went into debt to do it. Not always a good thing to do, but we did. But God promised us that he would give us a nice house. And I don't know where the money's come from, but the whole thing's been cleared. The whole debt's gone. And we sold a house that we had in England and we, bought, and we built the house that we got here. But have we got anything else? No, that's it. We're skinned. Praise the Lord. But we got a nice house. And God promised us to have that. So we need to understand that faith does things. Faith does things. And I will never ever stop giving what I believe God wants me to give in. And I know that God will never ever let me down. He's never done it. We've come this close to disaster. How many times? Right? But right at the 11th hour, God says, whoa, get that. And we think, wow, thank you, Jesus. You know, sometimes I think, God, if you'd have told us in the first place, it would have saved a lot of our hassle. But it's the way he teaches us faith. And I'm not saying that for you to think, oh, isn't he a great guy? I'm saying all of this to help you to see Trust God. Trust God. If you do it with all your heart, mind and strength and you honour God in everything that you have, He will bless you. Not so that you can be better than anybody else, but so that you will have all that you need to serve Him. All the believers were together and had everything in common. The rich people and the poor people. When we first came to Thailand, we went to language school. It was the closest thing to hell on earth. It was on the 15th floor of a large building in Surawangsi Road in Bangkok. And it was called Union Language School. And when you walked through the door, they sat you down and said, You are 13 years of age. You will not ask the question why. 
you will just obey everything you are told. And we were going into school. At least it was language school, right? We were all sat there. Oh, yes, miss. Okay. Okay, fine. Mm, right. And there were people sat there. There were people from embassies. There were people that had pastored churches of five or 6,000 people. And they were sat there and were being treated like kids. And we went to this language. First day, Margaret's had a pencil confiscated. <laughs> Naughty Margaret. This was great. And I was told, oh, you're coming here to start a church. And a Christian teacher told me, he says, whatever, the, the first person that comes to your church, that will be the kind of church you have. If a tuk-tuk driver gets saved, you will have a church full of tuk-tuk drivers. You will never get anyone else but tuk-tuk drivers. If a rich pe person comes, you won't get any poor people. You'll only get rich people. You will not get anyone to mix. Praise God I didn't listen to that drivel. I'd rather take this. They were all the believers were together and had everything in common. The rich and the poor sat down together. Amen. Because this is the power of the gospel. But more than that, we need each other. We need each other. Now the facts are that people who are materially wealthy they find, they score very low, let's put it the way Ed Silvoso puts it, they score very low on spiritual poverty and relational poverty. I touched on this last week, that rich people find it very difficult to actually know who their friends are. Like the prodigal son, when he had all the money, and he had all his friends around him, as soon as the money had gone, his friends were gone. And when you do something out of the ordinary, it's, 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 as a rich person, then you start to see who your friends are. Who really cares for you. Who really loves you. Because when you go out on a limb, your friends can desert you. It's incredible in politics, isn't it? You know, I always remember there, there used to be a, a comedy program on TV in England called uh, Yes, Prime Minister. And uh, there were some politicians sat talking together. And they were saying, oh, we don't like that guy. Oh, he's terrible. He's, he, he, he's two-faced. He's, he's awful. He's, he's uh, ridiculous in his policies. And, and then someone brought in a note and said that this guy had died. And so they all looked at one another and said, a great man, he will be sorely missed. Right? And like, they all change. Because the situation changes, everything changes. But I read, my word of God says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. He's always got the same opinion of you and me. He loves us. And when we have right relationship in church, we love one another no matter what happens. Amen? Yeah. Praise God. So rich people score poorly with relational poverty. But poor people score high. Because in order to get by, in order to get that bowl of worms, it took all of them to go and find them. 
So they're working together to share a meal. And so they stick by one another. And when the 90,000 baht arrived, they all got drunk. This is before one of them got saved. Hallelujah. But Praise the Lord. But they all got plastered. Hallelujah. Who's listening to the CD? What effect do the church have on the people in Phuket? Anyway, that, that, that's what happened. When we got there the following day to take them their food, they were all just passed out on the, on the ground with bottles of whiskey next to them. If you wanted to know where the 90,000 baht went, it went on the best whiskey that money can buy. But relationally, they're together. They shared everything. Motivationally, very poor. But rich people are pretty good at that. Maybe it's because of an education. Maybe it's because of the way you get rich is to plan to get richer. But as we sit down together, we can help one another to overcome the particular kind of poverty that affects us. So the poor can teach the rich, and the rich can teach the poor. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Acts. They sat down together, which is incredible. And they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying what they enjoyed, the favor of all the people. Because people were looking at them and thinking, wow, they've got something. They've got something that works. They've got something that's cutting against the oppression that we're feeling. The Roman Empire is pressing in upon us, making us do things we don't want to do, but these people have got joy. And what was the result? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every need was met. They sold what they needed to sell to help those who had nothing. Again, they didn't sell everything because that would make them poor. They still had to generate cash, had to generate wealth so that they could share it. You cannot eradicate poverty by making yourself poor. All you do is put yourself under the system. But when God blesses you, you can be a channel of blessing to others and help them to live in the blessing of God too. Through fellowship, we strengthen one another. Poor people will help rich people and rich people will help poor people. The strength of the church is in helping one another to meet our needs by the grace of God. So if we can understand this, this is the mission of church. To extend the kingdom of God and we see it tangibly achieved when we tackle the problem of systemic poverty. But we also need to understand that to do that we need an action plan. It's not just going to happen because we think it's a good thing. Oh, we've read the book, it's good. Oh, we believe what the Bible says, it's a great thing. Unless I actually have a plan to put it into practice, nothing's going to happen. So here's the action plan. A four-point, four-stage action plan. 
First of all, we have to attain and maintain intimacy with God. If the system needs fixing, because basically the system's okay, it's just been influenced by the enemy. If the system needs fixing, then we need a starting point. We need a proper relationship with God. We need a proper understanding of what God wants us to do. And the only way we can do that is by being intimate with God. You see, the effect that you can have on this community, upon this nation, upon the nations of the world, the effect that you can have starts with your relationship with Jesus. Because if transformation starts here, starts in me, then my relationship with God is vital if I'm going to be free in my own right. If I'm going to know that freedom that comes from Christ, knowing Christ, and that I can pass that freedom on to other people, then I have to, first of all, attain a level of relationship with God where I know that I've got freedom. And then I have to maintain it. I've said this many times, I'll say it again. That the Greek word for salvation in the New Testament is actually written in the present continuous tense. So it's actually, I am being saved. And it's a daily process. It's not just a one-off thing, just like my marriage. I got married to Margaret. Okay, that's fulfilled all my dreams of the girl of my dreams now. Bye, see you in heaven. No, it's a lifelong relationship, a lifelong commitment, a daily commitment that grows better and better. Praise the Lord. And it's the same with Jesus. And so we need to work on our intimacy and our relationship. This is the starting point. You can do nothing about reaching the community unless you're right with God. So we need to know and be assured that God is our Father, that He will equip us with all that we need, our daily bread. And we need to start to put an end to poverty, systemic poverty, in our own life, in our own interpretation of things. We need to stop thinking, woe is me. I've got a hard life. How on earth can we say in one breath, you need Jesus? Oh, and we got, well, we've got loads of problems. Right? Problems are opportunities, amen? Because without problems, you don't get miracles. And we start to need to apply something in our own life because we can go out and we can preach the gospel but how sincere is it when we come home and all we can do is worry about the situation that we're in hello anybody out there You're still with me do you know what I mean right Jesus said that was hypocrisy we say one thing to other people because it's the right thing to do. We're fishers of men. We preach the gospel. But we don't apply the gospel to us. 
it's crazy. Because we're all full of, oh, things aren't fair. Why has this happened to me? Why am I in the state that I'm in? We can see that other people need to be set free, but we're not setting ourselves free with the truth that is within us. We choose to live in poverty when we need to recognize that we're called, we're chosen, we're set apart by Almighty God for a task that He wants us to do. And He's taken us. And if we're a Joseph, then we still maintain that relationship in the pit, in the prison, as well as in the palace. Still there? Is it speaking to you? Can you hear the voice of God? Because unless we can get past part one, the other three parts are no good. We need to know that God is our Father and He will equip us with all that we need so that we can put an end to systemic poverty, the influence of systemic poverty on our life. And we trust God. He will supply every need according to His riches in glory. Hallelujah. I told you last week, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I've only got a mangy dog. So who do I look to for my strength, to my hope? Not to my own ends. If I do that, I'll always be moaning. Right? The only thing the dog managed to do today was to climb on the bed and we had to say, get off. But my God supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? Do you believe that? As we get closer to God, He will change you. He will give you a new mindset. What have we got to complain about? We have an incredible vision, an incredible purpose. God has given us the best work in the world. But how do we look at it? It's up to us. We make a choice. We make a choice. Once we can get that settled, we can move on to stage two. We need to get involved in community. No longer am I going to be influenced by this control system of the enemy, but rather I'm going to influence the world. I'm going to speak peace over the lost. I'm going to speak peace over people, over circumstances, over my city. I'm going to speak peace, and because I am in the power of God and I speak peace, peace will come. That's incredible. Now, on Wednesday, as we came to Kingdom Seekers, I had something very heavy on my heart because the night before I'd heard, we'd all heard about Lame and the bankers going bust. And then they said the same was happening to AIG, the big insurance company. And AIG, AIA, very big in Thailand. Two of our church members work for AIA in Phuket. 
everybody who works, or you know, everybody I know who works particularly in the church has insurance, medical insurance with AIA. So if this company goes down, all their pensions and everything have gone. So on, Tuesday, on Wednesday morning, Kingdom Seeker says, we're going to pray for AIG, we're going to pray for AIA. So we prayed. Now, I'm not claiming anything, but when I got home and turned on the news, the Central Bank of America had come in to underwrite AIG's losses. Now, you can say, well, maybe a Phuket Christian Center had anything to do with that. Mm, okay. But something interesting that I found out this morning from the AIA people who work in AIA. Of all the countries in the world, one country has not suffered as much as the others. In Singapore on the news, it was showing me pictures of people queuing up to take their money out of AIG and AIA in Singapore, in Hong Kong. And I thought, oh, what's going to happen in, in Thailand? And at least 50% of all the money that this, this company has has been lost worldwide. But the figure for Thailand is 1% loss. 1% loss. And the folks were telling me this morning, that says that business as usual, everything's good, they've even got new customers. Isn't that incredible? Now I believe in the power of prayer. Now okay, it might be saying the big thing in America, mm, that's just helped this company from going under. But in Thailand, it's totally different to every other country in the world. Isn't that incredible? You need to come to Kingdom Seekers. Things happen. Get involved in community. Be an influencer. Speak peace over people and circumstances. Actively make Luke 10 transformation a part of your lifestyle. If you don't understand what that means, see Dave and he'll tell you either what to download or he'll give you the CD for a price. Hallelujah. Now as the vision energizes us so we can see God move and lives change. The more lives that are changed, the more society will be changed. Anyone say amen to that? It'll happen. Our city then becomes God's city. Isn't that incredible? You see, for that to happen, the majority of people need to agree to us putting God's city on the plaque. Because the minority won't, won't, won't do it. A majority has to do it. So people are going to be changed. Amen. I agree with myself. Anyone else? Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. You're looking at me doubtfully. Hallelujah. What on earth time? Oh, I better be quick. Okay. Part three. Actively be church. Now this has two parts. First is internal. When we help one another, we'll no longer be in competition. Rather, we will complement one another. Wouldn't it great to be able to call up a Christian brother or sister to, for help? 
knowing that they'll give it. Give according to what we have and according to what others need. It's not just about money. Some people might want just to feel accepted, part of the family of God. Others may need advice, comfort, an ear to hear. Now this is actually taking intimacy from an individual level to a corporate level. And think about it. If I am intimate with God and you are intimate with God, then we are closer. You with me? It's that love triangle. Right? And if God's at the top and you're here and another person is at the other corner, it's very difficult to do with a microphone. possible before we need to see intimacy on a church level like we've never seen before and lastly we need to actively be church externally This is getting involved in the community on a church level, not just an individual level. Now, church is going to find it very difficult to make your workplace a better place. You can do that. But there are things we can do as a body. It was great uh, at, on uh, Wednesday night to, at, at Glen's Cell to see uh, all the kids on, on, in the village come in and they put a, a film on and they were painting faces and doing all kinds of uh, weird things and, and, and Nick was looking sort of half blue and half white. It was a really strange thing. Uh, I don't know what he got painted on his face. I don't know who did it. But anyway, it was just different. But the kids loved it. Praise God. It was great and all kids came and people... And as a result of that, uh, one of the kids came to I... One of the older kids and, and the basketball and stuff. Uh, one of the kids came to I plus today. Praise the Lord. You see, God does things as we get involved externally, as a body. So through Sussex House, through Pace, through Sheet, through cell groups. And what would be great, you know, for, for you to pray about the different things that we do. And we'd be doing more things, so start praying now. Pray about the different things that we do. And, so, and just say to yourself, well... God, what do you want me to do? And God might say to you, I want you to give 10% on top of the 10% you give to church. I want you to give another 10% to Pays or to She. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm glad someone's awake. <laughs> or to Sussex House. Amen. Amen. It's a double amen. Hallelujah. Some, God might be doing that. Praise God. And God will bless you for it. Maybe there will be something else that we'll start to do and you'll think, whoa, God, this has been the burden of my heart. And God will release you into that. And he'll say, look, if you don't sleep in the tent between the people and the beach 
and the sea, rather. Who is going to do that? If you don't step in the gap, if you don't put your finger in the dam, if you know the story of Peter and the little Dutch boy or whatever, right? if you don't step in the gap, if you don't be the bridge, who's going to do it? Who is going to do it? Hallelujah. Now don't change and say, oh, instead of putting money in the offering, I'm going to give it somewhere else. Don't do that. Take a step of faith. Increase. Because if you start doing that, then knock ice and on, will starve to death and be. Right? Praise the Lord. They won't get any wages. And Sussex House will cease to, uh, cease to exist because the church pays for Sussex House. 100,000 baht a month it costs to keep Sussex House running. Did, did you know that, by the way? So that's why we give offerings. Hallelujah. So don't do that. Add to it. Take a step of faith. Increase what you give. Praise the Lord. Be active. See what God will do with you. I guarantee you will know the blessing of God in a new dimension. I guarantee it. If you give according to what God has said, not because I've said it, okay? Not because I've said it, but you pray and see what God says to you. And if God speaks to you, then honour God and see what he can do in your life. What we do in the community as individuals is multiplied as we work together in the community's church. Now beyond that, we need to work together with other groups, whether locally, nationally or internationally, to bring God's blessing to situations that only even come, become accessible by unified action. Now God is leading us more in this area of networking and one of the things that we've been praying about and has, has come, we made a, we've already uh, uh, talked, to, we've actually talked to Jill. And Jill's really been excited about all this kind of thing. And um, we've given her a position which I can't, I can't remember what it's called now. What is it? Director of Communications. Right, there you go. Director of Communications for PCC. Right? And basically what we're going to do is, is, I don't know of any church that's ever done this. I might be wrong, because I don't know every church. But this is something completely new. And she starts next week. So we're going to pray for her next week. We're going to network with different groups, locally, nationally, internationally. And Jill's going to be involved in that. It means she might have to travel to different places, but she's going to network with business people, with churches, with organisations that have the same heart that we do. And we can help them, and they can help us. And as we network together, we're going to see things happen. And goodness knows what's going to happen, but I believe she's going to make some key contacts when she goes to Argentina. So this is a real step of faith. It's a real step of faith for Jill because what she's thinking is, Lord, I need my daily bread. And she literally means bread. Because she wants to know what she's going to eat. Hallelujah. Okay, so we've got nothing, we've got no budget to start this. It's great, isn't it? Are you excited as I am? Right? Are you as nervous as Jill is? Right? Praise the Lord, this is exciting stuff. Right? Jill, if you know Jill in any way, you know that she has got a gift of communicating, right? So it's not just an, a good idea. This is birthed by God, we believe that. 
And we believe that she's going to start and she's going to communicate and network with people. And things are going to be built because I can see that the vision that we have is going to touch the world. Hallelujah. Now, I've taken off my coat of many colours. I'm in the pit. But I'm still believing, I'm still believing that this little church, in world terms, this is a tiny church. Okay, as far as Phuket's concerned, it's a big church. As far as Thailand's concerned, it's, it's a fairly big church. But as far as the world's concerned, it's a tiny church. But I still believe that by the power of God, God is raising us up to touch the nations. Hallelujah. And so we're going to do something about it. And you know, at first, some people might think, who do they think they are? Some people might think, oh, their aspirations are a bit bigger than their pocket can, can cope with. But I tell you what, four or five years' time, they'll be saying, um, can, we, can, can Jill come to us so that we can learn more about it, so we can have our director of communications as well? I tell you, it'll happen. If transformation is going to have any effect, it starts in me. And if that is true, then the elimination of systemic poverty starts here as well. It starts with my mindset. It starts with my behavior patterns. Because I've been a victim of it, it's difficult for me to shake loose of it. But I am also now a child of God. Anyone say I'm into that? And in the power of God, I can rise up to have the victory over my circumstances, to have the victory over systemic poverty, and to now say, I have seen what God can do in me, so now I believe what God can do in my community. Amen? You see, a lot of this, a lot of what we do, I don't know some of the things that we're going to do, because... It's some of the things that God is going to challenge you to do. And you're going to come to me and say, I feel God's telling me to do this. I'm going to say, yeah, well, that sounds fantastic. That's great. God bless you. Pray for you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to support you. We're going to help you to do this. And new ministries are going to develop. doesn't mean to say you're going to work full-time for the church, but you're, going to be, but you're already full-time for the kingdom. Can anyone say amen to that? Anybody not in the kingdom of God? Anybody not serving Jesus? You're full-time. Hallelujah. Someone once came to Peter Jenkins and said, when are you going to go full-time for God? He says, okay, I went full-time for God the day I got saved. Because Peter, apart from everything else, actually runs a steel stockholding company as well. God bless him wherever he is. You know, have you heard about the trouble in India with, with churches being, guess who's in the middle of it, preaching? Peter. So his life's been threatened. He's hiding now from about 50,000 Hindus who want to cut his head off. I got a, mess, a frantic message from him last night. Well, I wonder, I mean, we're now trying to contact him. Didn't know where he is. He's, he's in the middle of all this, uh, where are they killing Christians in India? Um, anyone would think he'd get the message now that they don't like his preaching. Um, but uh, he keeps going back. So, pray for him. But, he runs a business as well. People said to him, why 
When are you going to go full-time in the ministry? You say, I'm full-time in the ministry. Praise God. You're all full-time. Which, which time are you not under the Lordship of Christ? When are you not a servant of Jesus? When do you retire from the kingdom of God? doesn't happen. I'm sorry. While you've still got breath in your body, you're a servant of God. Retirement's not an option. Don't tell me, tell Jesus. I need to be set free from the Babylonian system. Influenced by the truth. Determined to be an influence for the kingdom of God. Look, one day, I won't be able to do all that I do. I'll retire and knock it all on your shoulders. Praise the Lord. Dave's just collapsed. <laughs> you couldn't have timed that better, Dave. <laughs> but I'm not going to sit at home and play with my trains. Hallelujah. The dog won't be around anymore, so I can't play with the dog. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to do whatever I can to help her. Amen. Why? Because there's a passion, there's a vision. This in me that will not die. It will never die. It will never stop. Where's your passion for Jesus? Have you lost it? You need to get back to point one. Intimacy with the Father. King David was someone who brought prosperity to the nation of Israel. I'm sorry I'm going on long, but I've got to finish this paradigm because I've got to finish it before Argentina. But this is the end tonight. King David was someone who brought prosperity to the nation of Israel. The key to his ability to eliminate poverty in the nation is found in a psalm he wrote, Psalm 51. Verses 10 to 13. And this needs to be our prayer. To maintain intimacy with God, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Didn't he already believe in God? Yes, he did. But he still needed to pray, Create in me a pure heart. He still needed to get right with God on a daily basis. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Why? Because I get tired. Why? Because I let you down. Why? Because I fall into sin. So God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Are you know, do you know in your life the presence of God on a daily basis? David did and he didn't want to lose it. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Gets better, doesn't it? Don't forget, this is a man whose heart was after God. This was a man who communed with God, who knew how to worship God and lead others in worship. Okay, we're a very scriptural church. David was the worship leader, the psalmist, and so we are too. Hallelujah. Right? And what does he say in verse 12? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
Grant me a willing spirit, what to do? To sustain me. I want to tell you, that is eliminating systemic poverty. Because you're sustained in every way. Restore to me the joy of, my salva- of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When I serve the purpose of God, a willing spirit, then God supplies my daily bread and I overcome the influence of systemic poverty. Isn't that incredible? It's all there in Psalm 51. Then what happens? Then I will teach transgressors your, transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. We will see the kingdom of God extended. It's not just New Testament, it's Old Testament. It's all the way through the Bible. This is the power of transformation. The most tangible thing is to see the elimination of systemic poverty. There will always be poor people. Why? Because some people choose to be poor. Okay? You can't stop someone who desires to be poor from being poor. But you can give everyone the opportunity to break free from systemic poverty. And we can see it removed from the nation. In the book of Revelation, the nations enter into heaven with their gifts for God. How is that going to happen unless the nations are redeemed? Let's pray. Father God, I'm going to trust you tonight that parts two, three, and four of this action plan are a matter of course. I believe in you, Lord. As you lead us and empower us, they're just a matter of course. But Father, we need help with number one. We need to know that you are our Father. We need to know that the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells within us. And when that happens, the Word of God says we become complete. We need to know that peace that passes all understanding. They're verses that we quote day in, day out. But are they things, are they realities that we live? Is my life given to God? Is He the most important person in my life? Is His purpose the most important motivator in my spirit? If I am going to get the victory that Christ won on the cross, that frees me from the effects of systemic poverty. If I'm going to do that, Lord, I need to be right with you. And so in this moment of time, I would ask for every person in this room to close your eyes. If not for yourself, then for the person sat next to you. To give them privacy at this time. I don't need to preach the sermon again. You know. 
you know if you need to say, God, forgive me for going my own way. Forgive me for putting you in a box that suits the way I think. I come before you right now with a heart that is desperate to know your presence on a daily basis. And I recognize, Lord God, it starts with a choice in my heart to say, I choose, I choose to submit to the Father. I choose to know Him. I choose to be in relationship with Him. I recognize that Jesus died on the cross so this could be reality for me. And I don't want to live a life that is a show to other people. It's a pretense that people think I'm okay. Lord, I want to be real. I want to be genuine because I want this transformation to be part of me. I want to know that the freedom that the Bible speaks of, the freedom in Christ that it speaks of, is my freedom. It's my reality. And so do you need to make that choice? If you're fine, if you're going on with God, that's great. But if you know in your heart of hearts that you need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've been pleasing myself. I need to submit to you. Then I want to pray for you. And I want you to make this confession to God. You're doing it to God, not to me. I'm just going to help you to pray. So if this is your heart, then you just show me very simply. You raise your hand. When I've seen it, you put it down again. Can I pray for you? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Just be clear. No one else is looking. There's only me. If I can pray for you, just raise your, put your hand right up and then when I've seen it, put it down again. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Because this is a choice you're making. And I'm just going to pray and ask God to honour that choice. Can I pray for you? Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Most important thing that you will do in your life is to determine to be intimate with God. And it doesn't matter what kind of ministry you have. You know where you are. And whether you're right with God or not. And you can struggle because of, 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 of a stupid thing called pride. Don't do it. Submit to Jesus. Say, Lord, Lord, I want that relationship with you. I desire that relationship with you. Can I pray for you? This is the last time. I'm not going to ask again. Can I pray for you? Raise your hand. Thank you. Lord Jesus, for all of us here, especially for those who raised their hands tonight, creating us, 
pure hearts. Renew a right spirit within us. Help us to know your presence every day. And empower us by your Holy Spirit. Give us a joy. A joy in serving you. And help us to willingly to do what you want us to do. And we will know that you will give us our daily bread. Father, we put our trust in you. And we know that you hear us. You understand every little part of us. We submit to your will. And we say, Lord God, help us to be a channel of your blessing, a channel of your transformation. Help us to be people who can eliminate the poverty that we see, what the devil has done to this world. We are here to change things. Help us to stand in your power and your strength and your authority. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.